Alright, welcome back everyone. <laughs> we're, we're picking back up with a very exciting section of the books. We're in Frank's perspective, we're in Annabeth's perspective, we're in Venice, we're in hell, we have two special guests. Um, we have a lot going on, stick around. Thank you, Carter. Hello to our returning special guests. You may remember them from almost a year ago, really, um, almost, from way back being the original series. Um, we have Kyle Prue here. Hello, Kyle. Hi there. And we have Mike Macheski. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Coming to us from, I want to say, Los Angeles and Ann Arbor. Is that correct? That's correct on my correct. front. All right. You guys want to give us um, a little little update, a little sneak peek into your lives. How have you been since the last time our listeners have heard from you? Hello, cat. Well, Mike has oh a cat. Gosh. Maybe we should start there. <laughs> she wanted to come cuddle. I mean, sometimes there's nothing you can do. Oh, my God. This cat She's is so sweet. Right now. Her name is Mesa. Like the geologic formation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, I don't know if anyone f has forgotten Mike, but Mike is in a <laughs> master's uh, for geoscience at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. So congratulations on that. <laughs> and Kyle, how you. are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, currently, I, uh, I'm, I'm living in Los Angeles now. I, I finally got out of Florida. Um, <laughs> there's lots of fun things going on. Um, can't talk about most of them. Big things coming. Oh, big oh, things big coming. Things. Big things coming. <laughs> can't wait to share. Can't wait. Don't <laughs> want to be like a can't wait to share kind of guy, but can't wait to share. <laughs> In the notes, it says scarring religious zealots on TikTok. Been getting a lot of death threats recently. Have 102 fever. Am sweating like a pig. As usual, the universe is conspiring to murder Kyle Peru. Oh, yeah. He's still around like a cockroach. Baby. I, I am the scum of the earth and I can't be killed. <laughs> if anyone survives the apocalypse at this point, it's probably Kyle. I think so. I think so. I mean, you kind of gave the forces of nature a wind up by settling down in one of the most tectonically active <laughs> regions in America. Kyle. That's a really good point. I, I have been courting death since the moment I was born. I do like that my main form of communication with Kyle these days, like how I stay updated in Kyle's life, is I make like bullying comments on his TikToks and see if they become um, among the most liked comments on his TikToks. Yeah. And if they do, then I feel like we've had a real genuine conversation. And that's really yeah, good. I'm always like, I'm always like, oh, someone left this hate comment. I'm like, oh, Erica. <laughs> uh, good times. Uh, um, well, shall we? Wh where did we last leave off, Carter? I believe we left off in Percy's perspective after just having met Bob, right? Yeah. Yeah. After Bob jumped down into Tartarus. And now we're going to very dramatically shift course from that as we do constantly in this book. We're back in Frank's perspective. We're in Italy. We're on our way to Venice and we're treated to this delightful little romp through Frank's head. This series of vaguely upsetting um, thoughts that he has. I guess the most important thing is that two versions of his dad are yelling in his head all the time about how he should kill people. Which is bad, which is unfortunate, and which is sort of compounding lots of other toxicities that are springing up for him at this point. Yeah, but maybe before we get deeper into Frank's perspective here, listeners of this podcast know Frank is not Carter and Erica's favorite character. Um, possibly least favorite of them all possibly but he endures we're getting some shocked looks from kyle so i'm looking forward to hearing about that like, <laughs> all of the characters in house of hades have like such a beautiful arc they they grow a lot in their personality they kind of level up in their powers and stuff like that frank is not exempt from that he has a big level up coming partially in this chapter partially in his next pov that makes me personally speaking from the eye perspective, uncomfortable. And I'm looking forward to getting some opinions from people who are male people about this because it's just the whole thing feels like a, a nod to like masculinity and, and hormones and things that I just have no personal experience with and no way to relate to so I'm going to try to keep my mouth shut for most of this. No, we still have opinions about that one. That doesn't make any sense. Um, what were you say, Kyle? I was say, finally, the male perspective. 
<laughs> when everyone comes to see me brain right fart. i was gonna say they were like they were like i'd like to hear some some fucking man analyze percy jackson you know yeah yeah you guys have never been here to talk about frank what are your opinions of frank as a character do you have any thoughts i mean i guess i should have asked that earlier i guess my thoughts are specifically um oriented like around these couple chapters in general in in the in this sort of frank pov specifically frank's kind of always like been like a goober in my in my like sort of perception of him and a goofy goober. yeah he's a little bit of a goofy goober yeah and um goofy goober yeah there's he reminds me in in like this pov of like i knew a bunch of kids in middle school who were like these like sweet kids who started doing trend do you guys know what trend is it's it's steroids but so I knew, I knew oh, like a bunch of, sure, sure, sure. I knew, none of us knew. I, I knew a bunch of kids in, well, I live in LA, you know, it's, uh, but I, I knew a bunch of kids in middle school who were like these sweet kids and started getting on like trend cycles and then just got super fucking like huge and jacked and scary. And that's sort of how I feel like reading this POV. Like, I'm like, wow, Frank, I didn't even recognize you. Ding, ding, Very ding. Very much that. Yes. So we're on the same he, he page. Got the, <laughs> yeah. He got the Mario mushroom. And it, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Because, you know, usually to get the mushroom, I, I guess he, like, did probably the equivalent of stepping on a bunch of Goombas in his... Uh, <laughs> That's a pretty good analogy, room. I feel. Yeah, for what yeah. he does. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess, like, it's a little... There's a little bit of reward there. Because the only other thing he got was a snake, and that wasn't doing anything for him. But I guess that did get his friends saved. I guess yeah. if you need a plot refresher on how we get to this level up we keep alluding to, in Venice there are these, what we assume to be, like, harmless creatures that the mist is disguising as dogs. I'm going to mispronounce this. We're used to it. Catobleps. Um, Catobleps, which... I've included some fantastical images of in our outline. Carter was like, that's not a catablep, Erica. That's a wildebeest or new, which is true because according to multiple free websites I read, um, <laughs> these beasts were probably just fantastical travelers interpretation of the wildebeest from like sub-Saharan Africa. The mythological fun part about them is that their name means like down lookers. So they were said to, if they looked up at you, you would smell their like awful, awful, horrible breath, which is so random and funny that they have like terrible bad breath there's so much stuff that happens what do you want to go to next (laughs) yeah we're we're arriving in venice we see all of these things rick has this little comment about how the mortals though don't see like wildebeest everywhere in venice for like obvious reasons they think that they're dogs which i don't know if anyone else has like a check on that i did some googling having never been to europe if that makes sense like is venice just crawling with dogs and I feel like no, right? Um, like they're around, but like it's a normal city where people sometimes walk their dogs. Right? I've been there. I don't have a particular memory of lots of dogs being there. I think we can let it pass. <laughs> don't they say in this chapter at some point there were like three hundred of them? I yeah, three hundred like to four hundred in the two hundred to three. I feel like yeah, if yeah. I was if I was walking around Venice and I saw three to four hundred dogs, I'd be like, I have a lot of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of dogs. Well, you know, it's just in Spain you run with the bulls, and in Venice, baby, you run with the dogs. <laughs> I guess <laughs> apparently you do. Um. <laughs> the Cato bleps. Frank is a uh, has a lot of statements about Nico in yeah. this. Yeah, he's they're going on a mini quest that is Frank, Hazel, and Nico. Um, and Frank is displeased. Uh, we're going to quote from the book now. Frank tried not to flinch when he realized Nico was at his shoulder. The guy was so quiet and brooding. He almost seemed to dematerialize when he wasn't speaking. Hazel might have been the one who came back from the dead, but Nico was way more ghost-like. This is kind of strange. <laughs> what? It's not just that he doesn't like Nico. It's that whenever he talks about how he doesn't like Nico, he draws these really fascinating comparisons to Hazel, who he is dating about how like they're both kind of very strongly death affiliated but like nico is more or like in a bad way or something i don't know i don't know i don't think there's anything wrong with this necessarily other than that nico hatred is demonic and evil and no one should be allowed to do it but um. yeah later like very (laughs) shortly after he also in his pov it says frank wasn't sure what scared him more shaggy cow monsters hordes of restless ghosts or going somewhere alone with nico d'angelo that feels homophobic. 
Let's yeah, just and, say it. Let's say what we really think. <laughs> and and Nico's so so helpful around like Italy. Like he's he, 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 he knows Italian. he speaks Italian. Nico's really in his Luca era, you know. He's <laughs> of like being Italian. Yeah. And gay. Being Italian yeah, and at this yeah. point questionably gay because it's not canon yet. Oh. That is Luca. like Luca. <laughs> exactly like Luca. <laughs> I can't tell, especially with this Frank chapter, like how much of this is like intentionally about like puberty and like like masculine range. Like I, I can't tell if 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 I'm like reading into stuff that isn't there. But there's like there's so there's so much that I'm like I'm like curious. I'm curious about him like sort of like using Nico as and and, and like Leo as like these like outlets for his his like anger and i'm really curious about this like him not being able to control what animals he's changing into while he's sleeping i'm gonna go with a hundred percent on that this is absolutely a shoving down your throat the boy's body is changing the boy um his body is changing he has lots of foils for what he thinks of as being an appropriate man that he's just kind of picking on and in his head having conversations with his two dads about being very violent towards i think it's time for a reading (laughs) this is um around the beginning of chapter 18 quote frank was so pleased to be holding her hand the crowds and the heat and the monsters suddenly didn't seem so bad he felt needed useful not that hazel required his protection anybody who'd seen her charging on arian with her sword drawn would know she could take care of herself still frank liked being next to her imagining he was her bodyguard if any of these monsters tried to hurt her frank would gladly turn into a rhinoceros and push them into the canal i don't know why i I, again this is just so confusing to me the thought of wanting to become a big scary monster in order to like protect your little little girlfriend is something that is so like is that a real thing that's like what I'm just gonna ask. It exists in the thing? world. Do Clearly, it exists that? in the world. I've ne- okay, so like I have never once been like with a girl and like been like, man, if anyone tries to touch her, I'm gonna turn into a rhino so fast. Like you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's a lot. Frank is being a lot. It's a lot of it. <laughs> as he he's like kind of self-referential about it. Like obviously Hazel is powerful she's stronger than him she's very capable as a person but he wants to feel needed he wants to feel useful he wants to sh- shove threats away like a rhinoceros which we'll yeah. we'll we'll circle back on this this is really i mean it's the same it's the same theme it's the same idea kind of just more and over the head throughout these four chapters i would say um and to be fair all of them every single member of the remaining five is really struggling with feeling useless right now it's just mm-hmm. manifesting itself in different ways for all of them um yes, yes, they, yes, yes, yes. they could have protected percy and annabeth more i need to shout out this moment <laughs> as they're off on this quest because the three of them obviously hazel and nico are close as siblings <laughs> frank thinks that hazel is trying to tell him quote go ahead nico needs practice talking to people <laughs> and i just want to intervene here and say no Hazel, no, canceled. Your gay brother absolutely does not want to meet your man. Don't try. <laughs> he has no interest. Shut it down. And I'm going to assume that Hazel was right on that and Frank was misreading the cue. That's what I'm believing. <laughs> There's some more interesting dialogue between Frank and Nico. Um, this is a moment for me. I don't know if anybody has the book in front of them but on the bottom of page 127 nico opens up a little bit about his mom and and how they were in venice during like world war ii broke out and stuff and frank is like wow that must have been hard on your mom i guess we'll do anything for someone we um hazel squeezes his hand appreciatively nico stared at the cobblestones yeah he said bitterly i guess we will and i really interpreted that to be like a bitter um foreshadowing towards his bitter bitter love for percy jackson but i think maybe that was just me being dramatic and toxic and actually he's thinking about his mom i i totally <laughs> no 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 you're right you're 100% you're, right <laughs> it's it's funny too because if i was like you know like oh we'll see and like <laughs> my friend was like yeah i guess we will i'd be like are you good right now <laughs> like he's, so he's not he's so not good he's just terminally he's unwell <laughs> <laughs> i feel like a lot of a lot of nico's emotional art could be resolved if at any moment in any of these books someone was like hey do you talk to someone <laughs> 
you need a chat? That's like what Reyna does for him, I feel, personally. Once yes. Reyna, in the next book. Um, yeah, also, like, Frank, I think this is, hit, we're really hitting this beat over the head. Frank then <laughs> says, he had a hard time imagining Nico D'Angelo acting out of love for anybody, except maybe Hazel. Again, the way you get him so wrong, the way he has done everything for his love for Percy Jackson. Now would be uh, the perfect time for a better help ad. We're not that advanced, <laughs> although we did. Yeah, if that we did get an ad for HelloFresh, and Ooh. this is just extra free advertising for them. HelloFresh, that's the big times. That really, when we saw that ad, we were like, "This is real now." Better help. We would also we'd love to have you. You know, we're a real podcast Sponsor. now. We do HelloFresh ads. Sponsor Come on, and the water's rate. good. <laughs> Um, as somebody who uses BetterHelp, I think that I'm the perfect candidate. No, stop. No free advertising for them, though. <laughs> BetterHelp yeah, wants yeah. to pay for an ad with us. Erica wants a, a BetterHelp sponsorship just so she can get a discount code. Um, yeah, listen. No, for real. That's valuable. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, plot stuff. So they've they've found the place they're looking for, which is um, this black house where they're to return the book. There's a lot of sort of weird little plot machinations that we don't have to follow super closely. But as they get there, they get attacked by the Katavleps, the wildebeests. Frank is fighting, is mostly going well, but then Hazel gets a, like, breath to the mouth. And apparently the breath is, like, <laughs> lethally bad because she's she's going through it. She's passed out on the floor. She's probably going to die. And just in case, just in case you were doubting it, we <laughs> let's turn back to Frank's perspective for a moment here. He'd always been scared of Nico. Now he wanted to dropkick the son of Hades into the nearest canal. Maybe that wasn't fair, but Frank didn't care. Neither did the war gods screaming in his head. <laughs> the violence, the... Everything about this. Like, Hazel is armed. Hazel's a capable person. You know, she tripped. She she made a mistake. Yeah. I, I This kind of, to me, felt like I used to babysit this kid when I was, like, young. And then, uh, I, like, you know, like, years pass, things change. And I found out that he's, like, a really toxic dude now. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I used to, oh, he was, like, a little kid. And that's kind of how I feel about Frank here. I'm like, ah, oh, god damn, it's like, I know I didn't do anything to make this happen, but I still feel like I've, like, witnessed it all going wrong. Yeah, and it just happens. Like, you can't, it's like, you can't stop it. So they take Hazel into the um, house of Triptolemus? I, let me just say, I don't buy that this is the only black house in Venice. <laughs> let and them know! So, hey! If so, I, I mean, I'm just saying there's gotta be more than one. But if it is the only one, great flex. That's such a flex. <laughs> to be the only one with a black house, that's super cool. So it's either mad respect or uh, come on, but I can't really tell which. This character, um, Trip, the god of farming, is hilarious and also so confusing to me. <laughs> I love but him. I think he's hilarious. I think it's funny that Rick, Rick thinks that farming will be like automatically funny. Yeah, like, like a self-evident is... joke. Like he doesn't write any jokes after it. He's just like, Trip likes farming. And that's the laugh line. But I think farming is cool. I just like him because he, he wears all denim. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. That's not that's dope, something yeah. that farmers do. I did picture Mike. <laughs> Mike is both Garion, the owner of the Triple G Ranch, yeah. Pan himself, and Trip, the god of farming. I assume many forms. <laughs> and, you know, each of these, you know, has, has a different hair length and, and facial hairstyle to distinguish them. Yeah. Trip, Trip, and Nico um, talk about the catobleps, and Nico is like, "Oh my god, I knew I recognized these creatures from the Mythomagic cards." And Frank is like, "Wait, I also played Mythomagic. I never saw that card." And Nico, shut says, up, um, shut up, Frank. <laughs> oh yeah, you know about Mythomagic? Name five of their albums, Frank. You don't know what you're talking about. You are clearly out of your depth. How dare He's, you? He says it was in the Africanus Extreme Expansion Pack. Duh. Nico they just do not ass. get along. Yeah. <laughs> they do not get along in the way that I do not get along with Frank, I feel like. Yeah, Trip gives this whole backstory. <laughs> Trip despises Children of Hades for some beef he has with, like, Demeter. And so he iconically waves his hand and turns Nico into an ear of corn. Um, that thus... boy gets corn cobbed. Yeah. <laughs> thus completing the trifecta of Percy Jackson being turned into a guinea pig, Talia being a tree, and Nico being... Um, acorn on the cob the all-powerful children of the big three um, it's interesting kind of like with 
I feel like if this chapter is to be like a journey through the toxic masculinity transformation that like the Greek myth that we're getting like a little bit of an allusion to here is the Persephone one because I feel like throughout like I mean like this series and like all of Greek mythology there kind of is like a big hand wave over the fact that like Persephone was like freaking kidnapped so it, it was kind of interesting against like the rest of the context of these couple chapters, like this particular POV that that's the that's the one we're drawing an allusion to. Mm. Yes, no, that's that makes a lot of sense. We just talked about Persephone in a recent episode. <laughs> if you haven't heard it, circle back um, because we also meet some other important characters in that um, little interjection. Yeah, I think that's true. And also, like Trip also presents a really interesting alternative here. We're like, no one would doubt that Trip is like a man, and like we all know kind of a bunch of guys like Trip. But but Frank is just like, you know, in, in his level up, Trip is just like an obstacle, but also more than an obstacle, just kind of like a joke for him to like step over on his path to um become like tall and strong and everything. Like it, it, I guess it's like an argument for for Rick's portrayal of this that like you know he he as an author is trying to keep the readers mindful of other alternatives and that Frank just chooses a way that maybe we should be critical of or think more about. I don't know. I think that's maybe a more generous meeting than I would um, personally endorse. I have one more thing to add to Trip. also. His, like, dream, his, like, my inator inator is that he wants to create Trip's farming university and, like, send everyone to his farming university and teach people about grains and stuff. And I just would have loved a little bit of a connection between this and Gaia and, like, would Trip like, go over to Gaia's side because she is trying to, like, restore the earth? Or perhaps would he not go over to Gaia's side because he wants to, like, master the earth as opposed to let the earth run wild? because he wants to like promote farming and sustainable practices of food production i think that would have been a fun dynamic to add in well i'm uh i'm dropping out of my current program and enrolling (laughs) as we all should trip farming university also has online offerings a six-month bachelor degree (laughs) that's nuts can't get that anywhere else (laughs) He would save so much money. I know. It took me four years to get my bachelor's. What's that about? And he's a god. <laughs> like... Ooh, that's why I'm trying to. That's why I'm trying to enroll. Cost effectiveness. <laughs> Maybe they could put they could put Trips Farming University could have like a satellite campus in New Rome, and the demigods could go there. Mm. And you could go back to school, get your degree. Yeah. Where's Trip or, at these days? You know, <laughs> little, little Italy. <laughs> well. Trip decides that in order to save Hazel, Frank is going to have to fix his chariot. So he thinks back to the myth where somebody had to fix this chariot. He realizes he needs to get a snake. Um, <laughs> it's super convoluted. <laughs> the mechanism of this chariot is because so... Because the snake just like... I don't know. I still can't really picture this. Like You need a snake for each side to wind itself around and then the chariot flies. It's yeah. funny. I've seen many chariots in my life. Never once have I seen one powered by snakes. I have in fact seen zero like, chariots in my life, so I'm extra confused. You'd be better off just Flintstone in it and sticking your feet to it. Also, nothing I mean I was about to say nothing wrong with online school, but I was I lied. Trip, trip, you better fix this. You better get on it. Which he does. Because Frank now has to go out and figure out how he's gonna acquire a python. What does Frank think about when he thinks about how to acquire a python? Does he think about where pythons live? Does he, you know, turn into a bird and fly over to a forest nearby? No. His first thought is, I should probably try to kill lots of animals as a sacrifice to my father. Um. But that's also based on, like, a myth to get the... He remembers that, yes. like, the blessing of Ares will give him a snake. So... Well, it's like sort of a convoluted thing, because like the myth that they're referring to is sort of relevant to Rome. It's not even really a myth, is it? I don't know if technically this should be qualified as mythology or history, because like, I think this is kind of a real person. But like, he's referring to the story of like this Roman general who like held off an entire army on a bridge to allow the Roman army behind him on the other side of the bridge in actual Rome to like put up fortifications. And he's considered this uniquely powerful legendary figure and so like the snake was sort of like a byproduct like this was mars's way of being like haha like we will take vengeance upon the people who dare to wrong you but now he's like okay no this is the primary objective like i I think the important thing too though is that in the myth or or story whatever you would call it the person fighting off the army is martyred at the end and dies whereas Mm. frank just goes 
Tasmanian devil mode <laughs> and you know, tornadoes his way out of any harm. Yes. Yeah. That's very important. So let's, like, Frank's situation is not the same. Frank decides he's going to kill a bunch of the smelly breath cow monsters. Why? Are they harming anyone? No, literally these monsters coexist with immortals. We're all chill. I guess one of them hurt Hazel, but like... They're it's, also it's... eating those poisonous roots, which yeah, seems to be an invasive the plants? species. That yeah, made I, I, the can't, I, I can't imagine the damage that Frank has done to this ecosystem. Exactly. The, exactly. the Venetian uh, like stinky cow ecosystem. <laughs> Aren't the dogs in Venice? No, the actual dogs are then going to go eat these roots and then they will start killing everybody. It's, it's crazy too because because of the mist, the people who saw this happening just see like Frank killing dogs in the street. <laughs> like Taking over a bridge of, of Venice to just massacre. Just some them. dude just just chopping up puppies on a on a bridge. Culling the I herd. mean, they probably uh, see Frank as a police officer because they do that all the time. <laughs> Wait, is that true? What the fuck? The police officers in America kill dogs? Uh, unfortunately, yes. More than more than they should. Wow. wow. Oh my A-cab god. moment, am I right? That makes sense for Frank. Literally, though. yes. Terrible. Um. So yeah, Frank. Frank just runs around the city trying to like attract these these cow monsters. This does not strike me as particularly heroic, especially because they know that he keeps just randomly taking breaks. Like he'll just go jump into the river where they like the canals of Venice as a dolphin where they can't follow him, and he'll just, like, take a break. He'll just chill out, and then he'll go hurt some more of them. I don't know. Eventually, he accumulates all of them on a bridge and then, like, just kills yeah, them. Yeah, it seems maybe, like, like he overcomes his fear, quote-unquote. Is it the fear of, like, danger? Like, of, I don't know if it's the fear of Frank being in danger or if it's the fear of, like, Hazel dying, but he, I just I don't think know. it's bad writing. I don't think that there is a fear. I think that Mars is just trying to, he just, like, tries to write Mars in the same voice about, like, war being this noble sacrifice that we make uh, to become stronger men and, like, dominate our, like, weaker instincts or whatever. But, like, I feel like it's just nothing. I don't know. <laughs> the, well, the line between what is brave and what is an act of powerful, vengeful violence is, of course, thin, as it is certainly in Greek myth. <laughs> and this certainly would be something Ares would um, honor him for, just, like, a sheer act of, of violence bloodying the streets but he gets the what is it the blessing that's what it's called he gets the blessing of mars and also gets a snake we should also probably mention this is something that really made me laugh i don't know if it should when mars shows up to frank shows up wearing italian regalia and this is something that we see from mars every time he appears as he wears the military clothing of like the place that he is in at that moment I just personally feel like this is really funny because, like, how many people are currently in the Italian military? Like, as compared <laughs> to the U.S. military or, like, even in Europe? Like, someone should probably check me on the numbers fascist. on this. Okay, there's that. Like, the last time we had a big Italian military was not a super hot moment for them. But also, <laughs> like, which country do we think currently deploys the most troops in continental Europe? Because I feel like it is probably the United States. Is it not? <laughs> They're like the United US States bases de- in Germany. Absolutely. The United yeah. States deploys more. Yeah, it's it's like um, what is it? It's point based colonialism, which is like the idea that like America doesn't take over countries anymore. They just put bases places, so they have little points everywhere. But yeah, yes. America has more like troops deployed than any other country in the whole world. It's also used, you know, kind of the allure of these bases everywhere, and, and you know, in beautiful places in the Pacific and. And elsewhere, you know, as another kind of propaganda tool that prey on uh, lower class, uh, mostly boys and and girls, to get them to join the military and risk their life because they have no better financial options. Yeah, it's true. And then ever watched Riverdale season five? Sorry, (laughs) Archie joins the military in Riverdale. What? Yeah, because he doesn't have any other options. But it ends up being really good for him. So. Oh my god! Anyway, <laughs> could um, see either Sprouse twin in uniform. Never. Absolutely not. Anyway, like Rick is kind of hiding the ball from us. We all here know 
the U.S. military. Anyway. Um, yeah, we're the colonizers. <laughs> we could say more, but you've heard it from us. <laughs> we can link a, like, fun little, like, Vox video or something in the show notes or something. Just I don't in know. case, yeah, <laughs> the blessing of Mars returns to Tripp's black house and, like, chokes him. I guess we can just read the description. Frank was taller. His gut had shrunk. His chest seemed bulkier. It was as if some of the dragon and lion had stayed with him when he turned back to human. Okay, puberty. No, 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 Let's read some reactions, too. The reactions really got me. Hazel's reaction, quote, You look amazing. I mean, you were handsome before, but you look older and taller and so distinguished. Um, Trip, yes, obviously some sort of blessing from Mars. Nico, he frowned at Frank. Why are you taller? Judgmental queen. I love Nico. Nico's the only person who understands me. But let's let's sit with this for a moment. So, like, just so we can summarize the arc that Frank has been on for these the, these four chapters, Frank got to Rome. He's feeling angry. He has voices in his head. He's feeling kind of violent, but also insecure about his position as a man. And now he just murders a bunch of animals as a reward for his act of bravery. Becomes tall and muscular and like leaner, and we all love that. Although, although before we get into talking about that more because there's so much to talk about there is that quote from hazel where she doesn't seem to necessarily love it there's some more from her we, we shouldn't gloss over hazel is also like a little concerned later on but that's not vocalized she's like i could see it in her eyes that like something had changed and she wasn't sure if it was for the better or we could actually read the quote but it's yeah. like something to that effect <laughs> her eyes were incredibly sad as if she realized something had changed in frank something much more important than the physical growth spurt frank knew it too he would never be the same. He just wasn't sure if that was a good thing. Okay, we're gonna pause. We're gonna have a, we're gonna have a discussion about this. I'm confused. I know what Carter and I have to say about this, and we've said it before. But I would love to hear, like Mike and Kyle, what were your reactions to this growth spurt? We've talked about it a little I, bit, but I read this and I thought to myself, uh, Frank just became the Joker. <laughs> this is Jokerified Frank. <laughs> He, he Joe Rogan, like he became an alpha. Yeah, he started doing you know? like you know weird like cupping and ice baths and all that, and just yeah. I I think on on a certain level <laughs> went it's... down a dark path. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of this might be like a symptom of Rick not exactly knowing what to do with Frank. Mm. I think like Rick does this a lot. He's got sort of like these soft goobery characters, and then he makes them. He like he like makes a point to be like, and now they're all tall and hot and stuff. Like it, it happened to Percy, you know. I guess I guess Jason was always like a Chris Evans type, but uh, <laughs> I, I sort of felt like I was like, did this need to happen? Is is there any narrative reasoning for it? And and like I I would it would make sense if like he's like setting Frank up for sort of this like super dark path or like this like villain arc or or a joke Jokerification sort of yes, situation. Yes. <laughs> But that's that's not really what Yeah, happens. and that's the bummer thing, is because it does like totally set that up, but then he doesn't go Joker mode. <laughs> do, do we feel like it's fair to say that this is presented as just like unambiguous like okay, not unambiguously a good thing, but like this is a power up. Like this is something that it's Frank net has positive. to do. Net positive because like he has all these obligations to the team and this is what it means to be stronger and more valuable, right? Like that's the framing, more or less. Absolutely. I mean, I remember when I read this in high school, I was like, Oh hell yeah, Frank. <laughs> Yeah, Good for yeah. him. But I, I went to high school in Florida, so I was like, yep. Good for him. He made it. <laughs> I was like, that thing that will happen to all of us one day. Yes. Yeah, when I got okay. my growth spurt, I didn't get hot. I just got uh, muscle spasms. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I, I feel like the other the other piece to the Frank thing that we should address is the fact that Frank, Frank is not just anybody. Frank specifically is our one Asian character. And our one Asian the, main character. Our one Asian main character. And Frank is very, like, the way that this narrative is presented is very much, like, sort of a second generation, I would characterize it, second wave, wouldn't you say, like, reactionary narrative of what it means to be an Asian man, where, like, people who are both, like, white writers who are trying to be good, thoughtful people, but also, like, a lot of, like, Asian guys at a point in, like, the early 2010s, late aughts, wouldn't you say? We're like very wedded to this idea that like this is like the thoughtful woke way of presenting the Asian man because you know like everyone is questioning Asian masculinity. This is what you have to do. Asian men can be gigantic and have like super yoked muscles or whatever. Also, and like I just feel like we know a lot of people who are like this, 
I certainly know a lot of people who are like this. This is a real thing that happens in the world. And uh, I, representation I, I, isn't just conforming to the Western standard of masculinity. Like exactly. Like, like the, the problem is that like, we're not having the second step where we're like, okay, like this is a type of person that exists. Why are they like this? And like, what are the ways in which this is because this is, you know, a book for like children. It's like middle grade. Like we don't have that follow up conversation, but like, what are the ways in which this is like hurting him or like, you know, like what are the alternative things that he could have done? Yeah. I feel like also we should vocalize to me like when I read this, this came up is just very, I don't want to like, I feel like I should just say fat phobic. Like there's something about the narrative arc that they give Frank where they're like, it's a level up for him to look like this. That's what I, Molly- I just don't like it. It's super shout uncomfortable. Out, shout out to Molly who began this conversation for us with Mark of Athena. There, there's a ton of fat phobia. <laughs> As there, there is any kind of action movie or anything that talks about like heroic looking and successful magical god figures, you know, they have to have like washboard abs and whatever. That's that's prevalent in everything. But it's a, I think we can name it. I don't think it's actually that veiled at yeah, all. Yeah, it's not um, <laughs> controversial, but like it's like fat phobia, but it's also like all of these other forms of body dysmorphia that we are, I think really coming together here to form like this one idea in Frank of like what it means yeah. to like become a man, particularly yeah. from a position of like questioned masculinity before and internalized uncertainty about that masculinity. Yeah. But like, we don't, we don't get to see these other things. Like Frank gets it through magic. We don't see the way that like most people get it, which is like some combination of like weird hormones or ungodly hours at the gym or any of these other things that like, extract personal tolls upon people and like change the way that you think about yourself i don't know i feel bad about this because none of like i feel hashtag not all men you know like that's that's all there are lots of yoke guys out there who i'm sure are like delightful people who have great lives and are happy and like have personalities have personalities and like they just look like that and like an hour at the gym every day is like a great amount of time for them and everybody you know like this is not to say that like someone could not be like frank and be like a healthy happy person but it's just like the way that he gets there and the reasons why he feels like he has to get there what we were trying to sit with right does that seem right yeah he doesn't seem especially grateful for this either you know mm -hmm. to either of his dad which i guess maybe it's because they've been constantly fighting in his head that he doesn't want to <laughs> appear grateful but i thought i found that kind of strange he just kind of like shrugs it off and is like yeah i'm big now i think it's really cool that in 2010 rick was like i'm gonna write an asian character who struggles with masculinity because whatever, we were just allowing pop culture to accept the idea that we shouldn't be emasculating Asian men all the time. So that we don't feel comfortable with this version of masculinity, nor do we <laughs> want people to think that this is how you become a man. Um, and this is good, which I don't, you know, I don't think that that's the message of Percy Jackson, because Percy himself is, you know, hashtag lanky skater boy, um, <laughs> who is very feminine at times and is our lead hero, but it's just weird, and <laughs> this doesn't yeah. happen with any other character, and for all of the, we're gonna get to this in a few POVs, but Jason changes in a way that we really like but of course that just leaves a void which frank then fills which is just like weird and i don't like it and i don't think like feel like it had to happen like kyle said earlier like is it necessary like yeah I don't know. everyone else has like just different forms of power-ups and we should also note okay i'm just gonna quote another portion of this he scolded himself for feeling so weak he could face an army of monsters but as soon as hazel showed him kindness he wanted to break down and cry this is juxtaposed immediately after the physical transformation. So we see Frank not only getting like buff and tall, but at the same time as that, feeling like less emotionally connected to people. And these are like, I don't know, it feels very textbook. Um, yikes. <laughs> very textbook yikes. <laughs> Listeners of this podcast, please do not um, murder a bunch of small animals in the hopes of becoming a tall, strong man. Yeah. Or any animals for that matter. Or any animals. Especially not. Yeah. Especially not albatrosses. <laughs> albatrosses. Thank you. Especially not albatrosses. Uh, I'm glad we were both thinking that. Shout out to our classmates who murdered um, federally protected albatrosses back in, what was it, 2015? Anyway, are we allowed to talk about that? I don't know. Probably. That's public knowledge now. <laughs> no, it wasn't because they were minors at the time, so the trials weren't all... Anyway. <laughs> I might have missed a few chapters. <laughs> I feel like the, the one thing that I like have like really sort of taken from this whole like Frank level up side quest is like in the beginning, Rick is like doing like the narration and it's like, 
oh, I really haven't been doing anything. And like, I, I have been feeling sort of useless. And I feel like in a way, this is Rick externalizing the fact that he feels like this character is useless because he doesn't know what to do with him. And so then I think yeah. he's like, okay, like, it's Frank time. Like, how do I make Frank like more of the guy? Yeah. You give I him agree. the Mario mushroom. It's just weird okay. that this never really gets any resolution. And like, there's this little tiny thing. Like, he just wasn't sure if that was a good thing. Like, he's like changed. He's not sure if it's a good thing. But like, that's never really unpacked, is it? Like, and with that, I think it's time for a commercial break while we show perspectives. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have actually like one last thing I want to say about Frank. Please. Are we are we back in it? Let's do it. We're back. Okay. Hash it out. It's interesting. There's this conversation that's sort of been going around like a fitness and gym TikTok lately about how a lot of dudes got super mega cut because they thought that that's what women wanted. And then they realized once they got mm-hmm. really cut that that's not what women want at all. That's just what men think looks attractive on men. And what women are really into these days are like those Timothy Chalamet looking types, like that co- that that cholera yellow fever body. And so it's, yeah. I, I think it's really I interesting confirm. to sort of like, I think like contextualize this POV through that understanding that it does feel very male gazy from Rick's perspective. I think that like, yeah. you know, yeah. you read it and you're like, oh, this is a thing that Rick thinks is good because Rick is, you know a dude if these chapters had had been like written from the perspective of like a female gaze i think i think they they would have been written with like just a little bit more nuance you know like directed towards like whether or not this is a positive change or not i think hazel's reaction might have been different as well you know yeah that one second of hazel maybe wasn't a big fan of this is so interesting well let's shake off that and revisit my lord and savior Annabeth Chase. Does she have a middle name? Beth. <laughs> Annabeth <good>. Chase. <laughs> you guys don't know Annabeth Chase's middle name? Obviously. Let's it's... say it at the same time. Obviously. Uh, everybody say it at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's. It's. Elizabeth. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I really thought I'd be able to find it on Google. <laughs> and, I think it um, does not exist, is what I'm gathering from the wiki right now. Annabeth Elizabeth not. Chase. If, also, if you Google Annabeth Chase, the first it says people also ask, does Annabeth love Percy? <laughs> no, because people <laughs> doubt like, this. Per- people on the internet are wild. I feel like Percy has to Google that every now and then. <laughs> yeah. Because he knows he doesn't want to bother her. Um, so he just Googles it. He has to, he has to check Annabeth's uh, Wikipedia for the relationship status tab. <laughs> the wiki, fandom. Uh, anyway, we're in Tartarus, of course, and Bob just showed up. We all remember, like, the Tartarus chapters are much, much shorter, so they're only, like, a few pages, and a lot of these pages are Annabeth being very distrusting and cautious and nervous around Bob, which is very in line with her character because, of course, supreme abandonment issues. She, remember way back in Sea of Monsters when we first met Kyle Prue for the first time, Annabeth was, like, having that Cyclops phobia. <laughs> and it's also, like, Annabeth doesn't trust anyone ever at all and would need some therapy. Shout out to BetterHelp to overcome that stop this is still no a free, more free ad <laughs> no more free ads you can pay for it we would do it <laughs> so 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 they're following bob we're all following bob annabeth and percy are together and they're enjoying each other's comfort but also like they don't totally know what's happening and we're just trusting bob which is very difficult is there anything else we should say about this free bob free bo- bob should, is so excellent paid. <laughs> all of these four chapters are just about how excellent bob is 
Annabeth at one point asks Bob, how did you get here? Or how did you know where to find us? And Bob is just like, oh, because Percy called me. And then Annabeth's like, you jumped into Tartarus because Percy said your name? And Bob's response is, he needed me. It is okay. I was tired of suiting the palace. Oh, what a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, he needs to file a labor lawsuit against Hades. <laughs> 100%. And that was basically a whole chapter. <laughs> that was like two chapters um annabeth does a lot of as because of her trust issues are bringing up like thoughts of her you know running away as a kid and all of these like old memories of of running away from home because she has so much unresolved trauma possibly actually probably more than percy guaranteed more than percy um and at some point they like go to sleep um this is the first time that they are trying to get some sleep in tartarus because now they have bob so he can kind of watch over them percy says i'll take the first watch you can sleep and annabeth dreams of the night that she got to Camp Half-Blood and the night that Talia was turned into a tree. This is so... We've never gotten this from her perspective. It's so sad. Oh my god. Her One of her only two, I guess three friends if you can't Grover, in the whole world... <laughs> the idea of Annabeth and Grover being friends is weird to me. But her only friend murdered before her and then turned into a tree. They give this image of her, like Luke physically dragging her away while she like as a seven-year-old is like kicking and screaming and crying. The thought that she probably has nightmares about this all the time, that she's been having nightmares about this for 11 years of her life is just wild. It switches into still on Caplet Hill and then now we get what we assume to be a vision from Athena saying through like Reyna like Athena is inhabiting Reyna's body within the dream saying like you need to put the Parthenos like here basically like a Roman person <laughs> needs to to bring the statue like right here and then it'll fix everything fantastic knowledge but unfortunately um in case you forgot we are in hell so not that much we can do about that right now we're scheming though we're, we're scheming we're gonna we're scheming. figure it out we're thinking about it um, percy let her sleep the whole time through both watches because of course he did and she's a little bit mad at him about that we get some food oh yeah so they like we like reached a fucking shrine to hermes in hell because it just fell here or something i like it i guess we'll allow it no i think it's cool <laughs> i like the idea of tartarus being like island of lost toys like a bunch of shit just ends up there that gets discarded or like sort of like that river of broken promises that we see in the lightning thief that there's the all sticks, this yeah yeah oh it is the sticks that there's all of these like tools that are falling into tartarus and now that we have bob around we can like start to take advantage of more of those things like we're, yes. we're getting more hopeful we also do get this moment like annabeth asked bob like why do you know about this and bob's like oh why do i know about this <laughs> it's because <laughs> Bob is a titan, and Bob knows everything about Tartarus from being imprisoned there for thousands of years, and Annabeth is now even more afraid about reawakening all of his memories. <laughs> um, uh, so there's that for us to also be anxious about. A ticking time Bob, if you will. <laughs> Indeed. So, so we're at the shrine. Um, they get food, including Bob, because Bob likes M&Ms, because Bob is just... <laughs> Bob's on a roll. Bob can do nothing wrong. They're reminiscing about their time in the dining pavilion uh, because the food that they're getting also is from Camp Half-Blood. So they're like eating like home-cooked meals from their like formative childhood years in hell. Very cute. Very delightful. But um, we don't get to rest with this because as it turns out, Bob realizes that they're being pursued by six or seven giants and or titans. Oh boy. Who are following them through hell right now. That's um, bad. Do you want to read this? I really, I'm so delighted by this exchange. A little Percy Annabeth exchange. Does anybody yeah. who's not me want to do it? I just. Do you maybe, uh, do you want to play Annabeth and I'll play Percy? Oh yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a little scene work here. Don't forget your actions. Take your silent beats, whatever you need. Are you in here? I'm in here. Okay. Go for it. Is it possible to kill a giant in Tartarus? I mean, since we don't have a god to help us? Percy, I don't know. Traveling in Tartarus, fighting monsters here, it's never been done before. Maybe Bob could help you kill a giant. Maybe a titan would count as a god. I just don't know. Yeah. Okay. Oh my I, god. I do want to say that it's... Wow. <laughs> oh my. Okay. Um... <laughs> that for free everyone <laughs> it, i do believe it was yes. supposed to say maybe bob could help us kill a giant yes but i it, said you because it said oof text <laughs> yeah 
Truly, everyone is struggling through so many typos every time people Sorry. are passages out of this doc. Don't we just find it so humorous that Percy assumes that Annabeth knows how to kill a giant in hell? <laughs> I, I find it powerful every time Annabeth is like, I don't know. Because <laughs> that's, that's a queen. That's how you know. Yeah, I feel that she like I didn't know. do her justice in my. In, you were a wonderful Annabeth. You were excellent. Add that to the well, list of you. characters Mike can portray um, in the Disney Plus series, Annabeth Page. <laughs> so we're heading out. It turns out Bob has more of a plan for them. It wasn't just this rest stop. Bob also wants him to go see um, some lady about Death Nest and that the lady lives near night. Yes. If you will think back to our first House of Hades episode, these might, these things might sound familiar. But not to Percy and Annabeth, who are kind of confused and cannot ask follow-up questions of Bob, both out of fear and also because you can't talk about these things because you'll attract the monsters. So we'll just have but to wait. But we know. You know. Okay. And now, a, a truly iconic, not-to-be-slept-on moment from, like, this entire book. You know what it is. <laughs> our outline says extra special tartarus first using riptide as an actual pen to write with actually i can pull this up because i didn't waiting. mark it's this been such a long time coming this is on page 171 annabeth percy said again you're planning something you've got that i'm planning something look i don't have an i'm planning something look yeah you totally do your eyebrows knit and your lips pressed together and do you have a pen she asked him you're kidding right he brought out riptide yes but can you actually write with it I, I don't know, he admitted. Never tried. He uncapped the pen. As usual, it sprang into a full-size sword. Annabeth had watched him do it this hundreds of times. Normally, when he fought, Percy simply discarded the cap. It always appeared in his pocket later, as needed. When he touched the cap to the point of the sword, it returned back into a ballpoint pen. What if you touched the cap to the other end of the sword, Annabeth said. Like where you'd put the cap if you were actually going to write with the pen. Uh, Percy looked doubtful, but he touched the cap to the hilt of the sword. Riptide shrank back into a ballpoint pen, but now with the writing point exposed. May I? <laughs> Annabeth plucked it from his hand. Anyway, that is just... <laughs> I just know that Percy's got bad handwriting. I gotta say it. Yes. It's so true. So it's good that Annabeth is the one writing. <laughs> the way that he's like, that's oh, how you know he's got so bad he's, handwriting. He's had this sword for like what, like ten years, and he's like never been like, I wonder if it writes. And and also that he's like, he's like Annabeth, this is a dumb idea. Like, um, okay, <laughs> like sure, haha, lol. And then of course it works. Um, and there's not a beat wasted, and she just takes the pen and writes it down. <laughs> Um, we're still at the shrine at this point, right? Because this is how, yeah. So Annabeth is a freaking genius, as we know, and has the idea that if things can get sent here from Camp Half-Blood, maybe she can send something to Camp Half-Blood. So hashtag Rainabeth supremacy. Let's pull on that connection between these two all-powerful ladies, and she decides to write Raina a note about her dream vision but we Pause. don't know that yet she's writing rachel a note oh i'm sorry but rachel's right. supposed to go find reyna it's still reyna buff it's I know. just i mean it's, it's just mediated three queens maximizing their joint slay we'll see the meeting <laughs> it's it's nice um <laughs> no we also get this great moment i was just about to mention this and it's like no it's coming and it's here right now i lied um quote whenever she brought up rachel's name percy got nervous at one point rachel had been interested in dating percy that was ancient history Rachel and Annabeth were good friends now, but Annabeth didn't mind making Percy a little uneasy. You had to keep your boyfriend on his toes. That's such a rich text. There's so much about that for us to comment on. Annabeth saying, Rachel had been interested in dating Percy. That's fascinating. Is that queen shit? Is that, um, I don't know. I think it means she's going to flirt with Rachel to get Percy jealous. Just to make him gel. I love it. It's like when you're dating someone and then she's like, oh, I'm sending a message to your little girlfriend. <laughs> and you're like, yo, listen. <laughs> I do think that Rachel and Annabeth go on dates just to um, stress Percy out, but they don't end up talking about him at all. They just hang out and have a great time. They talk about like architecture and like Da Vinci or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And like A24 movies probably. Oh, oh yeah. Very good. Um, <laughs> with that. We're off. She sends a letter to Rachel via Connor Stoll, who we get a delightful reminder of here. And um, we're back wandering through hell on our way to um, the, the Lady with the Mist. Um, Annabeth tells us delightfully that this part of hell reminds her of San Francisco. Um, which is somehow like not even the shadiest thing that Ray has said about a geographic area so far. Also, but, um... also an exact um, contradiction of the famous Tony Kushner line, heaven is a lot like a place in San Francisco. <laughs> Rick shading Tony Kushner. Gasp. 
You heard it here first. As he should. Writers of the 20th century. <laughs> the two great Western canon founders required an Antony yes. Kushner. The two most famous writers of white gay men um, required an Antony Kushner. It's true. The niche audience is right here for that combo. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, we're all here. <laughs> okay. I think it is time for us to now do another reading. Are we okay with this? This is going to be kind of long. Maybe we'll trade off somewhere in the middle. But this is in chapter 23. So lead up to this quotation is that as we're wandering through Tartarus, Annabeth trips, she falls into one of the fucking like blister pibbles on the skin of Tartarus, which, ew, delightful metaphor, but you know, like viscerally disgusting. And we get the biggest jump scare that we've had maybe in the series. Like this is a pretty big one because when she gets up, she realizes that she has fallen onto the almost fully formed body of Hyperion the Titan inside of the blister pimple. Like, she's face-to-face with this titan in full golden armor, ready to attack her. And that's where we're starting. This is page 176. All right. The silvery titan was studying Hyperion with a frown of concentration, maybe recognition. Their faces looked so much alike. Annabeth bit back a curse. Of course they looked alike. Hyperion was his brother. Hyperion was a titan of the east. Yapetus Ba was the lord of the west. Take away Bob's broom and his janitor's clothes, put him in armor, and cut his hair. Change his color scheme from silver to gold, and Yapetus would have been almost indistinguishable from Hyperion. Bob, she said, we should go. Gold, not silver, Bob murmured, but he looks like me. Bob, Percy said, hey, buddy, over here. The Titan reluctantly turned. Am I your friend? Percy asked. Yes. Bob sounded dangerously uncertain. We are friends. You know that some monsters are good, Percy said, and some are bad. Hmm, Bob said, like the pretty ghost ladies who serve Persephone are good. Exploding zombies are bad. Right, Percy said, and some mortals are good and some are bad. Well, the same thing is true for Titans. Titans. Bob loomed over them, glowering. Annabeth was pretty sure her boyfriend had just made a big mistake. That's what you are, Percy said calmly. Bob the Titan. You're good. You're awesome, in fact. But some Titans are not. This guy here, Hyperion, is full-on bad. He tried to kill me. Tried to kill a lot of people. Bob blinked his silver eyes. But he looks, his face is so... He looks like you, Percy agreed. He's a Titan, like you. But he's not good like you are. Bob is good. His fingers tightened on his broom handle. Yes. There's always at least one good one. Monsters, titans, giants. Uh, Percy grimaced. Well, I'm not sure about the giants. Oh, yes, Bob nodded earnestly. Annabeth sensed they'd already been in this place too long. Their pursuers would be closing in. We should go, she urged. What do we do about... Bob, Percy said. It's your call. Hyperion is your kind. You could leave him alone, but if he wakes up, Bob's broom spear swept into motion. If he'd been aiming at Annabeth or Percy, they would have been cut in half. Instead, Bob slashed through the monstrous blister, which burst in a geyser of hot golden mud. Annabeth wiped the titan sludge out of her eyes. Where Hyperion had been, there was nothing but a smoking crater. Hyperion is a bad titan, Bob announced, his expression grim. Now he can't hurt my friends. He will have to reform somewhere else in Tartarus. Hopefully it will take a long time. The titan's eyes seemed brighter than usual, as if he were about to cry quicksilver. Thank you, Bob, Percy said. How had he been keeping his cool? The way he talked to Bob left Annabeth awestruck, and maybe a little uneasy, too. If Percy had been serious about leaving the choice to Bob, then she didn't like how much he trusted the Titan. If he'd been manipulating Bob into making the choice, well, then Annabeth was stunned that Percy could be so calculating. He met her eyes, but she couldn't read his expression. That bothered her, too. We'd better keep going, he said. She and Percy followed Bob, the golden mud flecks from Hyperion's burst bubble glowing on his janitor's uniform should add gaslighting to his list of superpowers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wait, wait, wait. Percy's gaslighting. Being a girl boss, Annabeth, too. Annabeth, Annabeth is girl boss. And Bob is gatekeeping. Gatekeep. Bob is gatekeeping? <laughs> no, he's literally gatekeep because of the doors of death. this is a good Titan, bad Titan? Yeah. Gatekeeping. Yeah, uh, there we go. Um. It's crazy that, like, Percy just, like, convinced this dude to kill his brother in front of him. It is insane. It's literally hashtag Dark Percy. We've been talking about Dark Percy because, of course, why not? This book is the book of Dark Percy. But it's so, oh, it's so juicy how he becomes this morally gray character and Annabeth is a little freaked out by it because I feel like up until now, everyone would have been like, well, Percy is like mostly, you know, at the end of the day, he's just got a heart of gold and Annabeth is the manipulative one. But that is just not true in the slightest. Percy is clearly like capable even if he wasn't manipulating him you know consciously and he was just doing it to survive this is this is scary he convinces bob to just we're super clear like he reminds like the thing the way that he chooses to do this is so specific like he gives bob more information he's like yes you are a titan this is your brother 
but also like i'm your friend i know you and like of course the gag that we're gonna get into as we proceed is that percy he's not bob's friend they don't know each other like that no like that's what makes this all so like genuinely terrifying is that like they have no relationship on which to base this like bob is just kind of like bob is like a baby bob is trusting him and like he probably shouldn't there's that mention about how bob is like oh like some ghosts are good like the ones who serve persephone and you know that he's only saying that because those are the only creatures who have showed him any kindness in his stay at like the palace of hades that those are like the people who Mm -hmm. were nice to him and that's that's like the only nice people that he knows that's so sad and another layer on top of this, to ignore the gaslighting, I feel like this is a Persebeth as parents moment a little bit. And we get this, like, <laughs> there's a little, oh like... Oh, my God! <laughs> the, no, this is Percy and Annabeth, like, yeah, talking to yeah. their child. And it's it's weird. I don't know. Couple dumb. The two of them versus everyone else, even the people who I are really on their own team. I really hope this is not how they or really anyone else explain things. Like, this is terrifying. Wow. Wow. <laughs> We basically, in case you can't didn't realize this, we basically read almost the entire chapter because you just, you just can't not. It's so, it's so rich. These are stories people can identify with. This is about, it's about power. It's about, it's about agency. It's about, well, we owe each other. It's about getting to choose what side you want to be on. And even though it's, it's scary, manipulative scene that has a lot of layers, it's also like really beautiful that Bob you know, makes a choice. And he really sticks He really sticks to it. At this point, you're kind of like, oh, is he just being manipulated? And maybe he doesn't understand what this means. But then when he meets small Bob, the kitten, which happens a few pages later, and the kitten likes Bob, and Bob says, this must be a good monster, isn't it? Yeah. And he says, I will call him small Bob. He is a good monster. Like, end of discussion. I, I, I feel like it's such a nod to children and how quickly they learn and if you teach them well to like be good then they will they will find goodness <laughs> even in the pits of hell yeah we're gonna like again we're gonna get into this more like the bob arc it is a story people can identify with it is literature like it's so <laughs> deliciously paced it is and the we're gonna canon. keep getting deeper in <laughs> as we learn more about this and as bob finds out more and has like more agency to like actually make this like, make choices about, like, what is good, what is bad with, like, information and context. But we're starting to see, like, the seeds of this as Bob, like, understanding the choices that he has, the power that he has, and, like, the people who are trying to manipulate him. In a lot of ways, it's, like, sort of a microcosm of the Half-Blood arcs that we've gotten because Bob is, you know, like, he's, like, a giant, powerful baby who um, (laughs) is being sort of manipulated by his kind of parents who need things out of him. This is just a parallel that I'm thinking about right now. I think it actually tracks fairly strongly. I'm going to stand by this. I think it does say a lot about the cycle of violence. <laughs> yeah, there's a little line I skipped from this small Bob interaction in Annabeth's POV. It says, seeing the huge Titan and this tiny kitten together, she suddenly felt insignificant compared to the vastness of Tartarus. This place had no respect for anything, good or bad, small or large, wise or unwise. Tartarus had swallowed titans and demigods and kittens indiscriminately. Again, like mm. that—that's that's true. Is of that the not world. literature? No, that's that is prose. literature. That's <laughs> that's teaching kids that it's like there is no, no such thing as like <laughs> good and bad in the world. You have to choose what side of things you want to be on and, and make the right friends and say and like identify who is good and make a choice for yourself to be good, and that anyone is capable of that. Wow. The kitten also, in case we need more of a reminder about, like, I don't know, the consequences of actions and, like, <laughs> the miracles of circumstances. Kitten was the one that was created in the Titan's Curse by Atlas, who is, of course, Yapetus' son um, uh, in the Smithsonian Museum um, when he's trying to raise the skeleton army. Yeah. Wow. We love callbacks, um, but that, that one's a <laughs> messy, messy, messy. Yep. And basically from there, we head off to the flying scary demon monsters of curses. And that's our next cliffhanger. Ah! Okay. <laughs> well, thank, yeah, thank you both for thinking through some of that stuff with us. Um, yeah, thanks for having me back. I saw, I'm sorry there weren't too many rocks for you here, Mike. Um, yeah, that's all right. I mean, there was, there was kind of a general description of Tartarus. It was pretty cool. Kind of seemed like some karst formations is what i was imagining there was one moment there was one moment where 
Annabeth grabs some obsidian. She grabs obsidian. And I was to like, play. Uh, that's a good choice. And I was like, fucking, thank God Mike's on this one. Is it a dead yeah. it's a hard rock? It's a hard rock. Yeah. It's a real hard, it's volcanic glass. It is real dense and hard. Volcanic because they're like, I guess, volcanoes in hell. Yeah, very good. Magma. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have a closing question for the two of you um, before you are set free into the night. Where are you at on thinking about Persebeth mm-hmm. as being the greatest love story in the Western mm. canon. Mm-hmm. Wow, this question's evolving so much. Western canon. <laughs> the greatest semi-heterosexual relationship in the Western canon. Um, I think there's, I mean, they're in hell together. I think that's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're trekking through. Here's the thing, here's the thing is like, he like, you know, gaslights Bob into killing his brother. And she's like, she's like, holy shit. Like, that's pretty dark. I was like, it's not super toxic because she noticed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she was like, oh, that's 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 not good. We're gonna have to talk about that. So like that is at least a good thing. So I think, you know, I think it's still healthy. I think they're still, you know, I think they're still devoted. I'm still on board. Gotcha. Um, and I think it's rival only by uh the main love story in uh the Sparks trilogy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, read Mike, it though, you, but you, so I don't know yeah, the characters' say, names. You... <laughs> but oh, Neil, Neil, and the other one. Yeah, Neil, Neil and, and uh, Neil and Neil. Uh, his his love interest. Who who goes by the, the name of uh, Neil's love interest? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Neil, Neil, and Neil's love interest. Neil's love interest. Um, when I wrote the book, I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to. You know, uh, I didn't want to mince words. I got a I got a copy <laughs> that was before you did Control F, replace all. <laughs> of neil's love interest right right the name uh which uh i you know i i don't know i haven't gotten that updated copy i'll I'll, I'll send you one in the mail there are no healthy relationships in the sparks i'm on kyoprew.com slash the sparks reader's guide yeah there it is (laughs) i'm gonna take the feud trilogy please don't don't um (laughs) hey shout out to all seaweed brain listeners go to kyleprew.com slash the sparks and uh take that quiz that erica was just talking about absolutely and, DM and then your tweet answer. your results at kyle Prue. <laughs> do you want the seaweed brain listeners to follow you on twitter Mike? Uh, you can follow me on twitter at hugo michigania and you can follow me on instagram at mike d macheski great um thank you both very much um for being here and we'll see you guys next time Thank you for having us. Bye, all.